think about the function of a mint, right? The function of a mint is to freshen your breath, and you want to put a grape in there. No, mate, spearmint, peppermint. If it hasn't got bubble mint gum. in it, if, it, if the flavour hasn't got mint in it, it's not a legitimate mint. Really? You fuck with the Wrigley's bubblegum? No, bubblegum, no. No, 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 that is what I'm talking about, yeah. Yeah, it's delicious. No, it not a bubblegum guy. It's because you've got a thousand and one allergies, you know. You can compromise as well. <laughs> Grant Robertson would be a much bigger threat to Lamingtons than Lamingtons would be a threat to Grant Robertson. Enough of slushies! I wonder whether or not anyone ever asked Barack Obama and John Key if they met because they were of similar age. High taxing, big spending, big government. Okay, Boomer. National will get New Zealand back on track. New Zealand is the greatest little country in the world. Hello and welcome back to the Iron Duke Podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I'm Maddie Burgess-Smith, joined live at Iron Duke Studios by Jesse Corlett and Henry Levitt. Good to be with you, Maddie. We've got another great show for you today. We're going to talk about Waitangi, including Luxo's speech, which has got a lot of coverage over the last 24 hours. We're going to talk about the war on Utes and the new front that's emerging in Wellington. We're going to talk about the minimum wage, capital gains, and hospital wait lists. All right, younger starts. Mr. Levitt, what's your pick of the week? My pick this week is Brooke Van Velden, our Minister of Workplace Relations and Safety, announcing a 2% increase in the minimum wage from the 1st of April this year onwards. Hurrah! People's hero. Henry, look at you go. Sort of, not quite. He's pulling um, for the working man. (laughs) (laughs) The least working man any of us have ever seen in this office. (laughs) Is that me? I've been on minimum wage my whole life. I think I'm (laughs) under it at the moment, in fact. So MB, they came out and they said that they were looking for a 4% increase in minimum wage. That's what they were recommending. And then Brooke Van Valden, she was looking at about a 1.2% increase. So pretty low. No fun. Exactly. So then they met in the middle roughly at 2%. The reason why I like this is because it's the smallest increase we've had in minimum wage in the past decade. Henry, talk me through that. The purpose of minimum wage is to provide workers with a level of income that allows them to meet their essential needs. And I get that. And I'm not some heartless monster out here who doesn't want poor people to make money or don't want people to make more money or anything like that. But the reason why this is important is because if you look at the CPI, so the inflation index versus minimum wage index, uh, the increases over the past 10 years, they're seriously out of line with each other. And these two things are supposed to be roughly in line with each other because it's about keeping your purchasing power for people on those wages as prices increase from inflation. However, if you look over the last six years, uh, from 2017 to 2023, it's been completely out of line. So inflation over those years has been about 25% um, a total. And then to match that, the minimum wage increases have been a massive 50%, so, so double that. And the problem here is that, yes, Minimum wages have to increase to be roughly in line with inflation. It can't be below it, otherwise you have those purchasing power problems and you lead to inequality and all of that. But at the same time, you have to be seriously careful with these drastic increases. They get wage push inflation, so wages go up, um, businesses pass that burden onto consumers through higher prices, mm-hmm. so then wages have to go up again, it goes around and around an inflation spiral. You have more money chasing the same goods, essentially. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. so you get nowhere and I mean, like with that. Minimum wage increases do genuinely spur on economic growth and that's what we know about those people living in the lowest quartile is that their discretionary spending is a proportion of what they earn they they spend Mm. most of what they earn in fact the fastest way to stimulate the economy is to raise benefit levels because beneficiaries spend 110 percent of their weekly income right they're not they're not saving any of it no so it's a great way to pump a heap of money into the economy so new zealand you've got i think two percent of all wage earners are on minimum wage and those people go out and spend all their money but to your point henry at a time when inflation is already red hot 
to be further stimulating the economy in that way can, yeah, I get it, be quite dangerous. It's, yeah, it is dangerous. And, and another point on that too is that when the minimum wage is too high, employers, they don't want to be employing people with these low skills on those minimum wages because they want to get more out of the wages that they're paying. So they mm. expect some of maybe one or two skills, some qualifications, you know, all that. So then these people who have very low to no skills, they get pushed to the side and they lose employment because mm. of that. Yeah, like if Phil paid you anymore, he'd then have to pay Jesse and I more. And we already make a heap of money compared to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, but I'm, 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 I really feel we need to start advocating for Henry here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, push it, Just push taking it myself up. out of this equation, I'm, 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 I'm minded to go have a talk to Phil right now. And on that note, New Zealand is actually one of the most generous um, countries, developed countries, with its minimum wage to median wage mm. ratio, which means yeah, the, the, the minimum wage is very close, in fact, about 78% to that of the median wage. Can I just make a rather um, obvious point? Those are my specialty. It's just on the politics of this. So we look at Brooke Van Velden. She's an ACT deputy leader. Mm. She's just found herself in government. And I think this shows that really interesting tension that all new ministers, but particularly new ministers under a three-headed government, are going to have to face, which is uh, Brooke clearly didn't want to raise the minimum wage 2%. She's she's from a party where um, they want to demonstrate... They don't even want poor people. (laughs) Well, they they certainly want to demonstrate that they're not contributing further to the inflationary dragon that they've been Mm. talking about for several years. Um, And she's had to make some concessions with Cabinet. And she ultimately is bound by a decision made by Cabinet, um, by convention. And so now she's having to front a policy that clearly, you know, in terms of her preferences, wasn't her first pick. She would have probably rather lowered minimum wage. Fascinating. Well, my pick of the week is also about poor people and how our taxation system just does not favour them in any way, shape and form. Because my pick of the week is the fact that Treasury have released a paper saying that a capital gains tax is once again needed. Hurrah, we Woo-hoo. love a paper. Love a good <laughs> Treasury release. And I think this is really exciting because it's happening under a national-led government where uh, Christopher Luxon has ruled out a capital gains tax. All of his coalition partners have as well. In fact, Jacinda Ardern, in my opinion, one big opportunity to be transformative was a capital gains tax when she was in power. Winston Peters initially stamped it out and then in her second term when she was just like a little bit cowardly and didn't really want to do much, she didn't do one then. But this paper has basically come out and said there's a massive gap between what the government wants to spend over the next couple of generations and what the government's going to earn and a great way to fill that would be this giant tax loophole we have in New Zealand which is called capital gains. It's this whole idea that Jesse can go out and make $100,000 next year by selling and buying property and yet if I am a garbage worker and I pick up your rubbish bins and I make $100,000 a year, I have to pay tax and Jesse doesn't. It's got to be one of the most regressive parts of our taxation system and that it really only impacts those at the upper echelons, those who are in property ownership and particularly those who own multiple properties, which we know is not as many New Zealanders as we often think it is. But it's really important that we're having this conversation once again. But are we having this conversation? I mean, I think as, as of this morning, Luxon's come out again in the in the wake of this release and said, no, nah, we're not doing it. So you've, you've still got the blue team and the red team really explicitly ruling this out. So I, I, I don't get the sense that we're having a conversation at all. I think it needs to be one of those things where if officials keep pushing it and saying this is the only solution to our rampantly high house prices, this is the only solution to growing inequality in our tax system, and also, you know, we're completely out of line with, with the rest of the OECD. We're one of only about seven countries that don't have a capital gains tax. We're not trying to do something special. I think so long as New Zealanders continue to be educated on why this really matters to people, eventually that public sentiment that is so vehemently opposed to it, because keep in mind, it's not Luxon that doesn't want to do this. It's not Jacinda that doesn't want to do this. It's 
both of them as politicians who want to win an election that don't want to do this. I think, I think to your point, you talked about it being the only option. I think all I'd say there is, um, yeah, I think it's an important conversation to have. There is a massive fiscal hole and there is a conversation to be had about that wh- whether we're treating different forms of income in, in fair ways in terms of the taxation system. It's not only is it different forms of income, but it's different New Zealanders. Right? We actually have yep. to come back to the point of like, who are the people that benefit from the current status quo? Mm. Those people are all homeowners and consequently those people all show up and vote. And all, all I'd say is there's there's probably a whole range of different options we should be looking at to mm. solve that, right? So there's there's the there's a piece around um, land use planning laws and consenting, so making sure that we're able to build yep. the right house in the right place, making sure that we're not artificially constraining land supply. And we saw some pretty shocking stuff out of Wellington um, mm. really recently around um, essentially nimbyism kind of at the helm once yep. again. And we're seeing it all across New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I, I totally agree that it's a conversation we need to have. But that big tax working group that came out and said, you know, 33% should be kind of what a capital mm-hmm. gains tax is, the big piece of work Michael Cullen did back in 2019, that's broadly in line with what the rest of the world's thinking. They yep. just view it as another form of income. Just one more point to make about this, and again, it's this kind of pointy-headed stuff, but this didn't need to be leaked, and it wasn't mm. leaked, right? And so you recall a couple of weeks ago we saw some early cabinet paper drafts so these were memos that hadn't actually been considered yeah. by ministers yet, been leaked by officials. Um, and by and large, I say those are definitely a minority in terms of people doing that. But this is a paper that's gone through the process. The government's had the um, the chance to consider it and make decisions that are well-informed and kind of without prejudice. And officials have had a chance to give free and frank advice. All of that's been able to happen, and then the documents are released for public. And so all I'd say is that's great. That's the process working as it should. I really don't like seeing official advice or or certainly draft advice being released by public servants who have an agenda, who want to try and... Um, who want to try and frame the context or shape the context in terms of media attention around decisions that ministers have to make. Those mm. are difficult decisions, and I think it's really important that yeah. they get free oh, and frank advice. I completely agree. The premise of this is so simple, and anyone who understands what good tax policy looks like, in fact, anyone who understands what good public policy looks like, knows that this is something that needs to happen for the future of New Zealand. I cannot see a situation where all of those people sitting around the cabinet table don't agree that this is one of the best ways forward for New Zealand. It's just when you become so fixated on continuing to be those people that are sitting around the cabinet table that you start to make decisions based on politics, not policy. If you were starting with a clean slate and you were building a new society, I think most people would agree that you need to have some form of capital taxation. I think the big challenge is because we're essentially coming in halfway through the story, a lot of people have made massive investments on the basis of the rules as they are. There's this massive inertia or um, aversion to change because you've got vested interests. And I think that's that's kind of the stuff you're talking about. But that's what makes policy change so difficult and what makes it require so much political courage. And a lot of people have been left behind as a result of all of those people having made massive gains. And right? as the only person at this table who does not own a home... Because you're on minimum wage. Yeah, exactly. Below minimum wage, in fact. <laughs> but don't tell anyone. I think that it is incredibly important to say that this is one of the only policies out there that is going to lessen speculation on a basic human need of having a roof over everyone's head. That was beautiful. Thank you for rounding that out in such a poetic way, Henry. Jesse, what's your pick of the week? Waitangi and all associated. The public holiday, the fact that you got a day off. Now this is a mixed mow pit, the lawns. right? Okay, so this is this is on theme for me. This is going to be a mixed pit, okay. right? This is bittersweet. Okay, so the Crown Ewe relationship is always a, a topic of conversation at this point in the political calendar for well, New just Zealand. Like always. Yeah, yeah, but particularly this time of year because we've got the Ratana gathering in late January and then we have Waitangi um, in February uh, when all the political leaders and iwi leaders kind of come together at the Waitangi grounds. Um, and on Monday... Just to insert myself here, did you know that it costs you to go to Waitangi? It's $30. 
That kind of makes not, sense. Not I mean, it's on Tuesday, though. <laughs> oh, not yeah, on the national you need, day. A, you need an invite. <laughs> you can't just rock up for free. Yeah, Sorry, but I just think that's appalling. That's okay. And um, well, if it's if it's free access, almost. If we had a capital gains tax, I reckon Waitangi would be free. Any number of things would be free. So on Monday, we had a bunch of speeches from um, some of the key. Um, players in the in this kind of space. Um, this year, obviously, the conversation's a little more interesting because we've got a new government that's that's uh, pushing ahead with this uh, idea of a treaty principles bill, and that has really raised the temperature. So t- tensions are really really flaring, and we saw that at Waitangi. Um, so the re- the reason why this is the peak of the week for me is that we've really got a genuine sample of the debate that's coming. Um, we had obviously some really strong views put forward by Māori and Iwi who are concerned about what this bill might do to the Crown-Iwi relationship. We had some, I think, slightly unfair exaggerations or catastrophizing around um, what it might mean for the treaty in terms of deleting it or, mm. or, or its existence. In our but, but if we kind of set that aside in terms of the extremes of the debate, we also saw in, uh, in David Seymour and Winston Peters, they got their um, public chance to really... Um, push back against their uh, their um, their critics. We also saw in David Seymour and Winston Peters they got their public chance to really push back against their critics. So Winston did this in his classic style. He was kind of pushing back a bit of biffo with the crowd, telling them to get an education. Uh, well, this is very very brief because we have another appointment with a number of ambassadors from overseas that come all the way to this country to advantage our economy and our rest of. I've got places to be. Yeah, look, look, I'll give you my speech. It won't be long, and then I'm off to do something way more important than this. <laughs> They're very important diplomats coming. That's through. right. Speaking as the Crown, he was once the very important diplomat visiting New Zealand shores for the first time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and Seymour, much more of a straight and narrow policy guy, just having a crack at everybody who was having a crack at him. So I think we didn't get a resolution on this, no. right? We didn't get an answer. We didn't get any kind of convergence on a way forward. But what we got was a nice kind of sample of what's to come. And I think what we'll see going forward in terms of the process this bill goes through, particularly through Select Committee, that's when it will open up to the public. And I think we'll see all of these debates advanced in a much more sophisticated way. And so I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I'm optimistic that New Zealand can have a pretty sophisticated, mature conversation about this. I'm quite worried about where this could lead. They are sowing a huge amount of division in New Zealand. The one thing that does have me a little bit optimistic is, as a student of political science, right, this happens from time to time. We go through these periods of unrest, and New Zealand always settles in a better place than we did before. And I think the best example a lot of people will recall is the Springbok Tour. The New Zealand after the Springbok Tour was a far more united and unanimous New Zealand than the one before. So from time to time, this needs to bubble away a little bit. And, yeah, I th- yeah, I think that's right. I think we can handle it. I think Kiwis can handle the debate. Well, it leads me pretty well to my pit of the week because to handle the debate, we need a really strong leader of that debate and the person that showed up and chose not to be that individual oh, on Monday oh, look. was Christopher Luxon. 183 years ago, 184 years ago, and seven decades after Cook sailed south from Tahiti, and seven decades after Cook sailed south from Tahiti, Crown and Māori came together to sign the Treaty of Waitangi. And on the 6th of February, 1840... William Hobson and the chiefs assembled here. His speech was genuinely appalling, and a lot of people would have seen the cut and paste headlines. He genuinely reused really large chunks of that speech, exactly the same as he did last year. I think this mattered a colossal amount. Just as we were talking about Brooke Van Velden needing to really differentiate herself, you know, who is Mm, she going to be as a politician? How is she going to stand out in the three headed Taniwha? That was Luxem's opportunity to show up for Māori 
to say that he could be a leader for all New Zealanders and he chose not to take it. What frustrated me more than what he said on Monday, which is that the New Zealand National Party will not support a referendum. They will not support it through first reading. He could have said that at Waitangi. He could have got up there and delivered an actual message, which is that despite what our coalition partners believe, we ourselves will not carry this through to a vote for all New Zealanders. And he didn't do that. He has said that previously, though, right, in, in, in his defence. He's, he's made it, he's he's made it fairly clear. He's been completely noncommittal. He has never used such explicit language as he did this morning, and it's because he knows he lost at Waitangi. I sympathise with Luxon here though. Going into Waitangi Day, he was never going to win. No matter what he said, I don't think with the media there and the people there, there was no way there was going to be a good story about it. So he sort of just rode the same horse that he did in previous years and he's come through okay. I think I agree he, he couldn't have won, but he could have come a much closer second than he chose to. And in doing so, he would have drawn more New Zealanders from the middle. Luxon will be the leader for all New Zealand when he is the leader for aspirational young Māori people. And right now, he's failing to be that guy. I say be patient. This was the Winston Seymour Iwi Leaders show. I think Luxon wanted to cast himself by playing a straight bat and cast himself in contrast to those guys. We've got the whole year, in fact, the whole term ahead of us. There's going to be a whole process for this bill and the associated debate to go through. He'll have time to start articulating that unifying central path, but he's got to get that figured out pretty quickly. I agree with that. I don't think time's the issue here. The platform is the issue. When are people ever going to listen to him on Māori relations in the, in the way that they would on Waitangi Day? Nah, he's got to do it on the Hoskin breakfast. <laughs> Where his voters are showing up. Where his voters are. Mike, <laughs> you and I, we have, an, we have an understanding. It's not about his voters, Jesse. It's about the rest of New Zealand who, who genuinely do need a leader on these issues. And if it's not him, there is no clear alternative. It will become a vacuum for anyone's voice to step up and take the leadership. And that's when New Zealand starts to become very divisive. We're in an MMP environment. It could be multiple leaders, right? It could be the future leader of the Green Party, whoever they then may choose to be. It could be Henry Lever. Mate, what is your pit of the week? My pit of the week is the long and growing wait list for hospital specialists. So at the moment, there is about 60,000 New Zealanders overdue for their first appointment with a health specialist, which is about 67% higher than it was last year. So when I say overdue, overdue is whenever someone's waiting for longer than the target time of four months. So these people are all waiting for longer than four months to get either their first appointment or their planned care. And this has been labelled out of control. And the bottom line is with this is that people are sitting there sick, unwell, perhaps disabled, uh, and they're out there with the diagnosed curable conditions, that, but they cannot get the treatment that they need to go forward. It's incredibly third world that people in New Zealand die on hospital wait lists. Eh? It is happening out there at the moment. So. The whole premise of Shane Reddy's policy platform as the um, incoming Minister of Health last year on the campaign trail was about setting targets across our healthcare system. Yeah. And he came up with some key targets. He gave us the one around immunisation, 95% of all two-year-olds, gave us time around uh, ED wait times, no longer than six hours from you walking through the door. The other one he talked a lot about was exactly what you're describing, the wait time to see a specialist. And he cannot yet give us what that target is because he still has no idea the level of disrepair the system is in. Still trying to figure out what's achievable. Still trying to figure out so, just how bad it so is. So is this like a legacy underinvestment? Underinvestment and a labour force issue where they have not had the capacity to match the demand growth that we've had over the past years. And what's interesting as well with the whole specialist side of it is that a lot of specialists are actually moving from public to private so mm. you're losing um you're losing doctors that way as well and it's particularly bad in our regional communities as well which given the fact that the national party the act party new zealand first took the regions by storm 
they've got to be thinking about some innovative ways to provide care to those communities. Yeah, and it's scary to think that with demand growth, obviously, from population increase at the moment, especially with all that inward migration, but you also think about the ageing population. These are people mm. who are living longer, they're getting the medication and time that they need, but they also take up a lot of resources, so it's just going to get worse and worse as time goes on. Totally agree. Speaking of things that make me feel unwell, my part of the week, uh, the war on Utes is continuing. The battle was won for the Ute owners in terms of mm. the clean car discount. But a new front has opened up. So Paris recently voted to triple parking costs for heavier vehicles in the Paris uh, city centre. So SUVs will cost about 32 New Zealand dollars an hour to park. So for a oh. six to eight hour spell, you're looking at three, four hundred bucks a pop. So this has prompted questions about this in Wellington, where the deputy mayor, among others, have been asked about whether uh, New Zealand is charging enough. So just city to give you some context. As great as Paris. Yeah, that's, oh, that's right. So in Wellington, you're currently charged about $5 an hour for parking. doesn't matter what Is kind of vehicle. You, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cheap. But then they add on that pay wave fee. 60 cents. cents. Right and so uh, most of the people spoken to by journos seem broadly supportive of this. And I think the reason why this is my pit of the week is it exposes a problem that I continuously see in policy, which is we don't specify what the problem is we're trying to solve. Mm. So if you're worried about the emissions associated with SUVs, well, one point to make is that a lot of those are hybrid nowadays or even electric. Or just newer cars. Yeah, exactly. So they may well be much lower emissions than their fossil fuel counterparts or certainly older vehicles. Mm. And what about sports cars? How's that work? Run me through that. (laughs) EV sports cars. (laughs) A high emission sports car. No, 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 high emission sports cars. Like a a V8. I don't think you'll spot many of those parked around one. I don't know. I don't know. The odd one. Some people in this office. That's um that nice blue McLaren. Have you seen that around town? No. That is on my registry for Valentine's Day. Very cool. Well, look, maybe you have a localised additional fee in, say, Kandala, (laughs) Oriental Bay, that kind of thing. Uh, And if the problem you're trying to solve is congestion, well, I think the better way to get at that is congestion charging. So don't go after the parking. Actually price the externality that you're trying to get rid of, which mm. is which is additional traffic. Attack the problem so, head on. Yeah, that's right. So if you're worried about peak hour traffic, we'll make it more expensive to drive at peak hour um, so that people who can will shift their travel through the day. So I, get, I guess my point is there's smart ways to go about um, solving problems. The first thing we need to do, though, is be really specific about that's what ridiculous. problem we're trying Just to solve. Just saying that if you're driving a, a ute or an SUV, that all of a sudden your parking is more expensive. Again, hugely regressive. What about tradespeople? Yeah, that's and right. I always come back to tradespeople. The some are great life's greatest New Zealanders. Your it's fa- always your favorite. My favorite New Zealanders are all tradespeople. I'm not going to lie about that. It's a you just like Utes though, <laughs> and boys who drive Utes. Well, actually, on that, on that, and just going into bat for the little guy, right? Here's here's a quote from someone on the street who was interviewed. I just think they're a status symbol, and they're a bit silly most of the time. Mind your own business. It doesn't matter what you think. If somebody's paid for the SUV, they can drive the SUV. Tell you what I think is a f***ing status symbol. Driving your Tesla Model 3 through the middle of town, which, by the way, also happens to be quite a heavy vehicle because it's got a two-ton battery in the middle. I think the real reason that this is your pit of the week is because you are just deep in dad mode. You are already envisioning your family's Toyota Prado. Land Cruiser. Land Cruiser. He's going to have nine seats, ladies and gentlemen, not even a seven-seater. He's going to get bench seats all the way through that thing just to have his entire small football team worth of a family driving into the to Papa car park to take the kids to see the giant squid. That's where your mind went when you read this policy. Welcome, listeners, to our new segment, which is where Maddie roasts me for about 20 minutes and then we wrap up and see you next week. I'll All have right. you know, okay, in fairness, I do have the, I do have the trade messages 
bookmarked on my computer. I am on the market for an SUV. Largest Much more practical. Possible. And if you, you try taking 10 bags of concrete home from Rider 10 in a 2002 Nissan March, and then you come talk to me about SUVs. Don't pretend you get those hands dirty, mate. <laughs> <laughs> he calls a guy. All right. As is tradition on the Iron Duke podcast, we always finish off with a quick fire, hot or not. Jesse, what have you got for us? Unemployment in New Zealand, up from 34 to 4%. The reason being, it's important to have a bit of slack in the labour market, right? Mm, yep, agreed. Biden's approval rating is down to 37%. That's the lowest rating that any president has got at this point in their term. Not. I think it's hot. Sets us up for a fun little election, doesn't it? it totally does. Henry, what do you got? November 23, tourism arrivals up 30.4% compared to the previous year. Hot. Hot. Nice. Tourism's back. How good. Um... Copy and pasting your assignment from last year for <laughs> productivity purposes because you're a busy man. Hot, hot. <laughs> Recycling IP is a is an institution in the knowledge economy, so I'm totally on. To- totally on board with it. I think when it's an assignment as important as Waitangi Day, you could maybe sit down with your mum after dessert and have a little <laughs> bit more of a think about that homework. How about you, Maddie? What have you got for us? $35,000 a year. That's what it costs you to send your child to the most expensive private school in New Zealand, King's College. Hot. I mean, hot if you choose to do that, if you want to spend the money. But I went to Podunk and Inglewood High School and look at where I am now. Yeah, I think there's a number of ways that you can make your child a much better person than sending them to a $35,000 private school them. to be surrounded by other rich Just like Read to them. Read to them every day. It's just a safety net, though. It's good. Some people need that. <laughs> yeah, a safety net is the only privately educated <laughs> individual in this room. Myself. <laughs> and lastly from me, a Bay of Plenty couple having to go to 100 viewings to find a home in Tauranga. No, it's getting pretty hard out there. It's, pr- it's pretty hard out there for renters. That's a couple with kids. Can yeah, you imagine yeah, yeah. that? A hundred viewings. Yeah, not for me either. So taxing on your time. Yeah, that's right. Well, listeners, if you're a speechwriter and you're looking for employment, I know someone who's a bit of work for you. And for the rest of you, try to keep your content original. And until then, we'll, we'll see, see you next week. week.